0: Well, it was nearly four years ago in 2012, I'd been vicar here for just a short while, that we had a man called Mark Russell come to speak about being dangerously radical, encouraging the church to be dangerously radical. It became our extra value statement on top of all the ones about being party people, scripture-based, realistic, humble, uh, headed for wholeness, loved by the Son, and knowing that we're blessed by the Father. All those things, it became... That extra one, challenging us as a church to say, are we getting out there in the community? Is there something about this church that feels dangerous and radical in the way that Jesus did in his ministry? Just a month or so later, we had our annual church meeting. And in that meeting, I said, there's a building the other side of the railway tracks. Um, I wonder if God might be calling this church to be doing something with that building back in 2012. The following year, I said much the same thing. Nothing much had changed, but not long after that meeting, uh, I was a meeting with the Bishop of Wilsden and with uh, another local priest about whether we might want to get involved in bringing St. Albans on Axon Green Common back to life. Uh, uh, six months after that, we took the staff team into there. They prayed in there and said, yes, we'd like to get involved in that. The PCC got involved and felt that God was calling us to be getting ...involved and to bring the church back to life. The campaign was born, we advertised for an associate vicar, and as you know, Mike Tufnell joined us in June about 18 months ago now. We're 18 months on from there, we've been doing worship in there for 15 months or so, and we have just heard that the Privy Council have decided that there is no objection outstanding to the transfer of uh, St. Albans-Axon Green into the parish of Christchurch-Turnham Green. And as of the 1st of January 2016, uh, we will be able to make progress with bringing St. Albans back to life for God, for the community, and for each other. And what I wanted to do today in this talk and in two subsequent talks on Sundays following is to talk about vision, vision for uh, the whole church family, and relate it into the Christmas story. Because vision, if you've not come across this before, is a very slippery thing. <laughs> you can think you've said something, you can think you corporately own something, and yet it trickles through our fingers uh, like an Abba song uh, on repeats, repeats, repeats. <laughs> so what do, we, what do we do with vision? And what did God do with vision as our preliminary question. In the Gospel of John, we have God saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In fact, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, which was the light of men. Right in the very beginning, God was. He had an extraordinary vision for humanity. It predated everything. It predated creation. In fact, his vision for humanity partly created humanity. His words, his very personality created everything that was. He spoke, says Genesis, and things came into being. He looked down through the corridors of history and he saw that there was going to be mess along the way. He saw that it was going to go wrong along the way. And yet he said, it's worth it. Why did he see that it was worth it? Because he had a vision of humanity. He longed to create humanity and he saw that the end product of a created humanity was a perfected, redeemed humanity that would be the bride of his son, Jesus. He had a vision of church a vision of church. And church was worth it. When we think about church now, we think about messy institutional things, don't we? We think about relationships which are sometimes wonderful and life-giving and sometimes slightly fractured. We think about long sermons from preachers going on endlessly at the front of church. <laughs> we think about music that's sometimes on-beat and sometimes offbeat. We think about the mess and the confusion. God saw the perfected humanity in the church and he said this is very very good and not only that he saw that there was going to be an obstacle to humanity becoming that wonderful he saw that he would have to come and suffer and die for it he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him he saw that when he came to earth as the baby jesus they would eventually stick him on a cross and kill him But because he had a vision, he went for it. Because Jesus had a vision of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he went for the vision, and he stuck to the vision. And now all who receive him, who believe in his name, have the right to become children of God. Not of natural descent, or a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. God is in the business of having visions, and seeing them through to their end point. It should be no surprise, then, that different little parts of his church, many fractions of his church, like ours, will also have visions. At the coming of Jesus, there were prophecies around what would happen, and, uh, and all sorts of things happened, like Bethlehem, but when he died, there was another prophecy, that he would send the Holy Spirit on the church, and the Holy Spirit was the promised Holy Spirit in the book of Joel, and it said, on All people in those days, I'll pour out my spirit on young men and old men. They'll dream dreams, they'll have visions. Do you know that psychologically, you are most likely to have dreams and visions in your youth and in your older age? (laughs) very We sort of go dormant in our midlife period. So the congregation gathered here this this Friday, both young and older, are in a prime position to have visions from God of, of what should be. How do we devise a vision that is apt for God? And I want to suggest three F's coming through this passage and general thinking around vision. Uh, the first one is frustration. <laughs> frustration. The second one is feeling. Feeling. And the last one, um, frustration, feeling, and faith. Faith. So frustration. God looked at the world that he created with great faith <laughs> Um, With a lovely feeling that he loved the people there, but he knew that it needed sorting out. He had a frustration. Frustration is the birthplace of vision. Mark Bailey, in charge of the New Wine Network now, uh, often speaks about having a divine gift of frustration. He said 90% of his good ideas were birthed out of frustration. Seeing a need and knowing that something needed to change. If you're a Christian, there's every chance that you have at least an inkling of a divine gift of frustration. (laughs) What do you do with frustration, though, is the most important uh, question to ask in that ilk. If you're off color or not doing things in in God's way, frustration can turn into griping, to whining, to moaning, to despondency, can't it? And we've all seen that happening. It's not going my way, and you sort of stick your finger in the mouth like a toddler and sulk in the corner. (laughs) You know, chuck the... Toys out of the pram. All frustration can do something totally different. It can turn you to intercessory prayer and to action. And that's the story of St. Albans Acton Green, isn't it? For, for many years now. It was closed Christmas Eve 2000. Uh, so it's been shut for a, for a long time. Had, had a brief period where um, Oak Tree Fellowship were in there. But by and large, it's been a church that was closed in pain and in agony. And it caused people immense frustration. And people both within the Christian community who had worshipped there and the wider Christian community and the wider community as a whole looked at that building and had a divine frustration. This is not how it should be, they thought. Just as God looks at humanity and said, this is not how it should be, people in this area looked at that church and said, this is not how it should be. When it was sold to a developer to turn into flats, People who would walk past and pray for it, and we've heard countless stories of people praying for that building now from all sorts of different churches right across London and even the world, looked at it and said, this should not be, this is not what this building was designed for. And with passion and with faith and with feeling, they turned their frustration into prayer. Eventually, uh, local prophetic activists managed to pick this up, men like Tony Dollar and Chris Chauncey, people like Councillor Harvey Rose, um, people like Colin Baston, a whole group of people working together, Catherine Day, local photographers, Ian Wiley, Diane Wiley, uh, John John Perry, working together with people from other churches, other community groups, Mark Mark Perry with the theatre, and saying, this should not be. Galvanising into action a campaign that got 5,000 signatures out of pure frustration saying, we feel, we have a feeling that this shouldn't happen. And gradually, an inkling of faith grew in those people uh, that, that there might be a turnaround. At the same time, and maybe in a very different way, the vicar before me here in the church, Matt Boyes, would walk around Acton Green Common praying for that church. And Jill Spencer, our wonderful administrator, had great faith that God wanted to do something with that church, even though we were nothing to do with it and not involved in any way. And yet, a colliding and a stirring of these things came together, a frustration had to be answered and had to be solved. And when the opportunity came for us to go in, you'll, you'll remember there were um, external circumstances that gave a sense that we should move in. We couldn't fit the children's work into the building anymore. Uh, we were seriously overcrowded in the creation of the tower. Room. It was a health and safety nightmare. We could have had children really seriously hurt with the level of crowding we were having in our services And we had an extraordinary staff team like Tim and Lydia and Keir and others who had come along. And it just seemed, why has God given us such talented people all at once in one time? What what are we supposed to do with that? And so we moved in, didn't we, with a feeling that God wanted to do something. We had a feeling that God's heart wanted to bring that building back to life. And why does he want to bring the building back to life? It's because his heart is for humanity, isn't it? To redeem humanity. And he loves to be uh, announced. And we had the lovely strap line God needs more space in Chiswick. Back in the day, I remember being a student and sitting in a meeting in a nonconformist church in a school hall. And one of the visiting speakers came and looked at someone in front of me and said, When people think of church, they think of old, disused buildings. <laughs> And he was trying to make a point to the guy that the church isn't old buildings, the church is the people of God, which is of course true. But it went right through me, and what went through me was if that's where people are looking for God, we'd better make sure there's something good in the buildings when they get there. And that's what happens here, doesn't it, day by day at Turnham Green uh, as the cafes open and as we welcome our friends into church and Margaret brings her friends into church from down the way and people from Home Cross come in and people from the community come in, the police constables come in, all sorts of people come in, they get a welcome. Just on Wednesday this week, an Iranian lady came into church saying, I want to find Jesus. I want to become a Christian. Can you tell me about it? I visited a church and I was in tears. And Maggie here welcomed her in. She came back on the Alpha course in the evening and found peace and life in Jesus in the evening. This place is is a place where people find hope, isn't it? Uh, It's not dangerously radical. It's quite a conformist sort of church set up, really. It looks like a church. We have lots of different people in here. We have 800 visits a week now into this building. It's an exciting place of extraordinary life going on. Not exactly dangerously radical. There are whole groups in the community that we will struggle to meet just through this one building. However, as the story has emerged with St. Albans, what has happened in my conversations, maybe in yours, is as we've said, God needs more space to people in Chiswick, it's blown their little brains. I remember when our MP was here, um, God bless her, and and I was saying that... um, The bishop was over in our other church um, today. He wasn't here for the remembrance service, as she was. Um, And she said, oh, I didn't know you had another church. I said, well, we didn't, but we do now because we couldn't fit everyone in here. Uh, And she said, oh, I didn't know that was happening in London. (laughs) It's a normal story in London. The Church of England in London has been growing by 16% in recent years. It's grown enormously, and there's lots of buildings that have been coming back to life. This is just one part of a big story that God's sounding his trumpet in in London and in the UK and saying, I'm not done yet. I need more space. (laughs) There's stuff I want to do. And people are turning Back to him, is that not great news? I find it very inspiring, what God's doing across the land at the moment. And so we have faith that he wants to do more in this area, and he wants to reach more people. And yet we also have this great call to be dangerously radical, and a great call to try and think, how could you turn church utterly on its head so that it becomes as attractive as possible for the sort of people Jesus would have hung out with. Because we know, don't we, from reading the Gospels, that if Jesus was around today, he probably wouldn't be in our communion service right now. <laughs> he would be mingling with people. Not that it's bad for us to gather together. We need to. We need to gather together to have the sacrament, to have the word, to pastor one another and care for each other. But he would have spent most of his time with people who were outside church and the, the last, the lost, the least. the alienated, wouldn't he? And what could you do in a church, thinking from scratch to go, I just want this to be a place that's just the beating heart of the community. How could you bring a site back to life and make it the very heartbeat of the community so that people were coming in there for their felt needs, for their community needs, for their social groups, maybe even for their health or counseling needs, or, or their dramatic and arts needs, and were coming in and felt not that they were in borrowed space, but they owned the space, that it was their place, that it was the heart of the community. And yet in that community, how could you then also install such an awesome sense of worship and prayer and spirituality, the very life of God, the people who come in for a tangibly different reason find themselves discovering what you and I know so well, that Jesus brings peace, life everlasting, joy, hope, and love. The very things that people are looking for, even if they don't realize it when they go to the theater, or when they go for a social group, or when they join a political campaign, looking for a place to belong, community, hope, love, and faith. So from frustration through feeling, we move into a place of faith, a place of saying, God, is this what what you want to do? And what normally happens with vision, I hope you can see through the scriptures, is it goes into a melting pot, which takes a long time to come through. Imagine you're God and you've got a vision for community and a vision for church. And you're in John 1, the passage we have read today. It says, in the beginning was the word. And he created all things. And he's longing for the church. He's longing for his people to be redeemed and brought back to him. How long does it take for his vision to be fulfilled? Well, he reveals himself to Adam and Eve, he reveals himself to Noah, he reveals himself to Abraham, he reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself to Joshua, he reveals himself to the prophetesses and the prophets, he reveals himself to queens and kings and servant girls and and shepherd boys down through the ages. And it's millennia, isn't it? Thousands and thousands of years after the first humans heard from God, before Jesus rocks up on the scene. And even then he gets born as a baby not as a man of action ready to sort it all out straight away and he just lies dormant for 30 years doing diddly squat really apart from eating and drinking and making a few chairs (laughs) does nothing that's recorded for us and then at just the right time or even before the right time because his mum pressurizes him to get going (laughs) in john's gospel (laughs) jesus reveals himself onto the scene And the vision comes to pass. And it's been working ever since, hasn't it? It's like a little stone that has got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and become an enormous rock on which you can build your life. And every time God gives a vision, it starts small like a mustard seed and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This last week, I visited a church in in West Harrow, St. Peter's West Harrow, It was a closed church, much like St. Albans, and they wanted to reopen it for the community. They chopped it up into 50 different rooms inside, uh, and they decided they were going to church plant into it a small congregation of 30 or 60 people. They never expected the church uh, to grow. They just wanted it to be an outpost of of great people who would engage with the community. Today, they're having to do two morning services there. (laughs) after it was stayed at that that small stage for for many, many years. But now they have to do two morning services, and they're wondering whether they have to strip all of the rooms from the inside of the church out and put them in a specialist building outside, because they can't fit the worshipping community into there anymore, because God's on the move. I'm not going to say what God's going to do in St. Albans exactly, and in this place exactly, I'm hugely grateful for the 800 or so people who come through this building every week, for all the people who are engaged with Christmas here and there, for the people who come to our anonymous groups at the mission hall and all that God's doing in the mission hall as well in terms of the community. I'm hugely grateful for it all. This I know. When you have a vision born out of frustration and feeling and faith, when you hone it and get it right with God and hear from the Lord, He fulfills his vision in his time, in his way, for his purposes, for his glory alone. And that is one of the exciting adventures we're on as a church family this year, this Christmas. Last Christmas Eve, we had midnight communion service at St. Albans on the anniversary of it having been closed 15 years ago. This year, we're having two midnight communion services here and there. May that be a great sign of things to come in the future As the words who became flesh and dwelt among us is shouted about in Chiswick, in South Acton, in Acton Green, in Richmond, in Hammersmith, in Gunnersbury, in the whole area, loudly because he deserves praise and glory this Christmas time, does he not? May God bless his word to us this Christmas and increase our vision, our feeling, our faith, and even our frustration if they're well used.